you know, we can go to Walmart or whatever and get uh, a desk for 40 bucks, right? And everything is temporary now. Yeah. Mm, disposable? Disposable, disposable yeah. Yeah, what are you talking about? Yeah, um, I mean, like... Uh, that was watching a documentary and they were talking about like we're materialistic but we're not materialistic because we buy everything but we don't have an attachment to anything anymore everything is disposable so I don't know if there's something hmm. there well, we're already recording so I mean we, we just may as well just go with that might as well go with that alright All right. <laughs> <laughs> how you guys doing what's oh, on hey. what's going on What's going not, on? Not much. You, know, you guys just old. heard the behind the scenes of us discussing what we should talk about. That was about. actually far more discussion than we typically have about what we're going to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> they just had a good idea, so. Yeah. I just realized, like, I said, what's going on in my higher pitched voice and in my last video, because I talked about the somebody complained about my high pitched voice. In my mm -hmm. last video, I got quite a few comments from listeners saying, I love your high-pitched voice. <laughs> so thank you, listeners, for the encouragement. You should do an entire video in that. Just stay mm. up there the whole mm. time and see if yeah. they still like it. That's going to be hard to maintain. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the next video is all in baby voice. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. boy. I was asked recently how come I don't do baby voice anymore. I guess I haven't had a lot to complain about. Nobody's been complaining to me. Oh, When, pe when people complain to me, I complain back at them in their own voice. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find it. I'll find a spot in it today somewhere to put a baby voice in. Yay! Good. <laughs> <laughs> there, there it is. <laughs> What's going on, Jimmy? What have you been up to? <laughs> uh, what have I been up to? We've been. Uh, I've been working on my go kart. I put out a video last week for Carolina Shoes where I made like these like uh, farm tool boots, which, oh boy, I thought I was going to get murdered for that one. But the comments haven't been too bad. I, I put didn't a see that. I put a I also put up a short reel, a reel last night on Instagram of the same thing, just a quick edit. Just a goofy idea to put knives on my boots. Just, you know, who doesn't need knives on their boots? And uh, so I did that video last week, and this week I'm finishing up the go-kart. Go-kart track. Oh, my cat is here. Go-kart track uh, event is July 1st if you want to come and hang out. and You don't necessarily have to bring a go-kart, but if you did, that would be fun. And I'm making one. There's several other people making one. I see Bernie's making something. Bernie Solo's going to be around. There's a lot of people coming from all around. So this event seems like it's, it's, it's feeling like it's going to be a big one. And so that'll be exciting at my racetrack here in East Durham. So I'm getting my go-kart ready. I went for a little ride last night. This is so funny. So I, I thought I was so clever making the steering wheel like removable so I could take the whole entire steering mechanism apart because it still needs to be adjusted. So last night I took my first test ride on it, got it on the ground, and I was driving in it. And like I ridged up, like I got like tense for a second, and I pulled the steering wheel completely. <laughs> oh, oh boy. Oh boy. <laughs> and boy, when something doesn't have any steering, it really does what it wants, exactly what you don't want. So it's interesting yeah. how when you pull the steering wheel off, and that necessarily, it didn't disconnect from the steering wheel and the column. The column disconnected from the steering pivot at the bottom by my feet. Like, so the oh. whole, like I was holding the steering wheel and like the f three foot pole. I was like, eh. <laughs> Like trying to jam it back on the universal joint. You know, when the universal joint gets disconnected, it just like falls to the ground. It doesn't stay up for you to receive the end of the... So, yeah, that's why we do these tests. But, uh, yeah, what else is going on? That's it. That's it. That's it. And uh, I'll talk a little bit later when we talk about manufacturing. I got a couple of things to talk about there. But when the subject comes up, we'll talk about that. But that's it. Exciting. Dealing with the summer. Yeah. It's getting nice out, which is beautiful, finally. First yeah. day of summer. Is it today? Is it really? Yeah. Oh. That never makes any sense to me. To me, summer Longest starts at like year. last day of April or something. I don't know. It's, you know, depending on where you live, like it feels <clears> like <throat> summer, so it's summer now. Yeah. But in upstate New York, the first day of summer is the last day it snows, so the next day is summer. <laughs> it's usually like end of May, last snowfall. Not really, I'm joking. David, what about you? What's going on? I, I'm finishing up the IKEA cabinet transformation. We got this metal 
cabinet from Ikea and we made a wooden frame that kind of wraps around the whole thing and also made it taller and added a drawer to it and then put a big design on the front and kind of kind of finishing that up now I don't think the video will be out by Sunday because there's a lot to edit so probably sometime mid next week and then we started uh got all the supplies I haven't started but we got all the supplies for making we bought three cheap tvs on amazon and i'm going to turn them vertical and then use a i don't know what the box is called it's like a switcher hdmi splitter so you can run an hdmi signal into multiple tvs to create a video board and there's a couple videos out there now of doing this, but I want to make mine so it's all one contained unit that you could hang on the wall here. Or if you don't like it, the whole thing pulls off and you can hang it on the wall over here. Oh. And so um, at first I'm probably just going to make it look like there's a window looking out to like a mountain or hell or something something crazy for the shop for a little bit <laughs> something you'd enjoy <laughs> something you would enjoy yeah <laughs> um but it's the the idea is to make it look like there, it's a window uh with with three panes and or just turning three tvs into one large tv where you can watch big movies and stuff of course you're gonna have the the bezels between each tv but that is uh that is the plan um I'm not sure if it's going to live in the shop. I just wanted to I just wanted to experiment and have fun with it. I may when I'm done sell it just to just to get rid of it. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> not I solved Yeah, I saw a video on it and I was like, that looks so cool. I want to do that. And then I just ordered all the stuff to do that. And now that I have the stuff, it's like, oh, do I really want that? I just spent all the money on this. I better do it. Yeah. Could you, it, maybe once you get done with it for the video and that purpose, you know, on the wall, maybe you then turn it into a, a table surface. Like oh, you, my goodness, you know, yeah. lay it down flat and then build something around it to take advantage of it and cover it in yeah. glass or something, you know. I don't uh, know. That, that's kind of cool. I, I like that. Um, is there a glass that's tough enough to be a, a workbench surface? I mean, yeah, half-inch plexiglass. Yeah, yeah, that would be a ridiculous workbench. Just projecting my face onto <laughs> my face. Yeah, it would have to animate. Yeah, you just constantly be like you chewing. So it's like you, mm. but there's a little bit of movement. Just you yeah, kind of yeah, like gnawing on your. Yeah, that sounds like yeah. a great idea. Tweet at me. <laughs> Yeah. Send me some ideas. Cool. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see you do that, but also interesting to see what you do with it when you're done with it. Because yeah. I think that, to me, is more interesting. Is like, <laughs> do you sell it or do you actually, like, make something else out of it? Yeah. Do you guys ever just get caught up in, like, you see a new skill and you want to buy that tool or you see a new tool and you get it and then... Once a week. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I have this thing. Now I should I should do something yeah. with it. $8,000 pottery kiln. I know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> my desk is covered in those little ideas of just thing, little piles of parts and stuff. And yeah, I do that all the time. But yeah. The TVs that I got for are super cheap. They're like Insignia, which I think is a Best Buy brand. I'm not real sure. Yeah, I think um, so. But they're um, being sold on Amazon, but they come from Best Buy. And it was just like a new TV. And um, the f just like in uh, $200 for like a 50 inch TV or 200 and some dollars for a 50 inch TV. So it's not like I, I spent a lot of money on it, but I didn't spend a lot of money on it. And right. yeah. I think, um, like even if I just sold it for the cost of materials, I don't think I would have a problem. I could find a local business who wants to have a, a video wall, you know? Hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, a few years back, I tried to find a dumb TV, like a, a LCD, LED, something flat panel that just didn't have any services built into it. It was just a monitor that was, I think I was looking at 55 inch or something like that. And it was really hard to find. I ended up finding one at Walmart and it was like Vizio or some, you know, one of the lower end brands of TVs, but it, 
I think it was like $200 because it didn't have anything in it at all. Mm-hmm. And so I put it in the shop. It's still in there. I was using it as a monitor for live streams. And it's turned out to be a huge pain to have a TV that is dumb now. I've got an Amazon device plugged up to it for you know putting stuff on it. But it won't turn on and off. Like, it doesn't have the same... I don't know, reliability through IR or something like that. But if I had spent a couple more dollars, I would have got one that just did the thing it needed to do. It would turn on and off when I turned the Amazon mm. thing on and off. But it was weird that I spent so much time and effort trying to find a dumb TV, and then it ended up being dumb. Imagine that. <laughs> one of the difficult parts of finding the right TVs is a lot of them, they have nice thin bezels, but usually the bottom bezel is just a little bit thicker. And I needed one yeah. with the same size bezel all the way around. So when they're stacked up against each other, there's a nice yeah, space in between. Um, but TVs are getting thinner, lighter, less bezel-y. So that's, <laughs> it's only going to get easier. We got one not too long ago, um, and it was like the cheapest one we could get, you know, for uh, one of the Amazon brands. And it showed up in this box, and it was a 50 or 42 inch or something like that. And I mean, I could pick up the entire box with the TV with one hand, like no problem at yeah. all. They're insanely light. It's wild. When I guess there's not really much in them. In my in my 20s, when I would move into a different apartment or a different house every single year, moving the TV was the biggest issue because it was just mm. so heavy yeah yep i remember buying a tv for about 900 dollars, and i bought like the the service plan for it and it was just before it was when flat screens were a thing didn't mean they were small but it just meant the screen was flat mm-hmm. and the back of it was like as big as a volkswagen bug and it was one of those flat screen with a dvd player and a VHS t- player at the bottom. That was Ooh. like 94 I bought that. And it was so heavy, the, I couldn't, and I was by myself, I had to bring it up to the third floor of my city apartment, I got it at Best Buy, and got it up the stairs with a ratchet strap wrapped completely around the middle of it, and just like both hands on the ratchet strap and going up one step at a time in front of me. Just one step at a time, it was all, it was all my might. It was unbelievable. Huh. Eventually, when it went out of style, I brought it up here and we shot it with a shotgun for fun. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to be this guy, but I, I, I have to be this guy for just a second. I don't think DVDs came out until 97. Um, mm-hmm. 94 is a very memorable year for me. I mean, I, I graduated in 93, got a job at Kmart that right. summer and so i remember all the technology working in the electronics so it had it had a, a player it had two players in the bottom and one was a vhs and the other thing i think played it played uh maybe what about eight ninety two thousand and five maybe i'm pretty sure it played two things one but and the problem was with the vhs the dog urinated on the corner of the TV and so the VHS stopped working. <laughs> but I had it on the ground like about two weeks after I bought it trying to figure out where to put it. And I didn't want to call the, the tech guy in. I didn't think my coverage would cover it if I let the dog pee on the TV. Yeah. <laughs> That's fun. So yeah, it had two things in the bottom of it. I, it must have, I thought it was a DVD player. You never know. Um, the other day, just to, to wrap up TV talk, <laughs> this new segment that we're calling TV Talk that we're going to do every week. I was at Sam's Club a couple days ago getting some fruit. And I walk in, and like when you walk into Sam's Club, they have this row of TVs right in the front. It's the first thing. And it's Sam's, so they're cheaper than everywhere else. But they had an 80, 85, 82-inch TV there. It That is gigantic. That is huge. <laughs> yeah. And it was like $800. I don't even understand the economics of, of size of TV anymore because, I mean, that thing, you know, I could lay down on it and have a comfortable sleep. It was massive and just yeah. really, really cheap. Yeah. But. I, I just remember, like, as a, maybe as a kid, a teenager, and somebody, there was the, before there were flat screens, there was the projection TV where it would project onto mm-hmm. a screen. like, mm-hmm. And those were, I don't remember, but maybe 50 inches. And those just seem like only the rich uh, 
people had yeah. these TVs. They were just <laughs> massive. They like, were back. They were back projections, right? My dad had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Your rich like dad. So one of the- it was like a jam. My rich dad. <laughs> It was a big. My dad would always buy the floor model of everything. So the reason mm. my dad has that is because the corners are all chipped and it's got a thousand fingerprints on it from a thousand different people. And they come in and my dad be like, "How much for the floor model?" And I'm like, "Well, you, timing is perfect. We're just about to put it out to pasture." And my dad would get it. That's how every TV I've ever owned was like that growing up. Those were great until one of the big giant bulbs would go out and then everything was the wrong color because it was like missing the blue <laughs> bulb. <RGB. laughs> Anyway, well, so this week, <clears throat> I've been working on a bench, and it's not going to be out for a couple weeks, but I've been wanting to do a curved a curved bench for around a fire pit for a long time. Not just, like, not just curving the top, but I've wanted to learn how to make a curved bench. The entire thing followed the, uh, the curve. And so... When you look at the final result of the thing, you're going to be like, oh, it's a bench. Neat. But to get there has actually been way more complicated and way more painstaking than it's going to be obvious that it, you know, like you're not going to be able to see the effort. Mm -hmm. And the reason I haven't done this in the past several years that I've wanted to do it is because I knew that it would be complicated to get a steel frame curved and then to cut wood to go as the seat planks on you know the right angles and to get every it, I knew it would be hard and but I've always kind of put it off and then a couple weeks ago I was like you know what I should finally just do the bench like I'll figure it out on the way I'm just like jumped in and the thing that's frustrating I, the, I think the thing that's most frustrating about it is that when it's done you're going to look at it and be like yeah neat that's a bench and so making a video to where someone would want to see the final result is less interesting than somebody wanting to see the struggle of getting to the final result. But I don't really know how to say that in mm-hmm. a thumbnail and title to let somebody know that the video is interesting not for the thing, it's interesting for the struggle or it's interesting right. for the idea. And I think a lot of the things that I do, the process is way more interesting than the final result. And that's not me dogging on my creativity or anything i just i i think the process to get there is more interesting but i don't think we're very good we being my team and i very good at telling people that part of it mm-hmm. so i was thinking about it while i was making this thing do you guys have any ideas on that about how to you know get somebody interested in the struggle and the idea without being like clickbaity and you know this is the hardest thing i've ever done kind of i don't want to do that stuff yeah but you have any ideas there? You do a picture of you scratching your head and like blueprints in the background. <laughs> I'm kind of being silly, but you know, mean, the idea—the idea, the idea yeah. of working, working through, working through the idea. This, you know, problem is. Hmm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's all. That's basically that's 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 what we're all trying to reach. But who knows yeah. what the chemical formulation is this week? What the hell was that? You got a bear in your house? Oh. Uh, maybe think about instead of you know, for your packaging, instead of showing the final piece, show an action shot of making the piece of the of the the hard part. The you know the mm-hmm. the the part that you want to show. Um, and I don't, I don't know. I th- that is packaging a video is the, is the is the hardest thing. This uh, in, in the in the course that I was taking, uh, this guy named Patty. He was talking about the pack packaging meeting title and thumbnail is pr- probably thirty percent of what makes a video good or pe- you know take off. But we spend like less than one percent on it mm. and you know you yeah, a lot of times you know we're we're so wrapped up into our projects and then we're thinking about how now it's time to take a thumbnail and, and write a title and you know that's done within an hour or or a few hours where if you put 10 percent of you you know if you work on the project for 40 hours and then but you you know you spend a a half a day brainstorming and thinking about that um i don't know, just something to I, 
Yeah, I agree with that to a point, but I think the things that we do, like the physical amount of like time effort that goes into the production of one of our things is very different than the, the amount of time effort that goes into a lot of other types of videos. Mm -hmm. So those, like if you were to take 10% of building a tape, excuse me, building a table that took you, you know, 40 hours or 80 hours or whatever, tried to take 10% of that to put towards the thumbnail and title. Yeah. That's a, yeah. 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 But, But you're right. I, it definitely, until recently, those things were an afterthought for us. And now they're a part of our initial conversation. Like when we vet an idea, mm-hmm. it's one of the points that we have to go through um, is, is the title and thumbnail obvious to us? Do we already know what it's going to be before we even start making it? Or is it something we're going to have to spend a lot of time on? Because that tells us how easy it's going to be to sell or to make the final version yeah. of those of that packaging. And you know, we still have to spend time on it at the end, but like can you see it up front? Or is it something like you see a, just a picture of the bench and you're yeah. going to have to figure it out later? Like that's not a great sign. So And we do scripted or we do unscripted stuff, so it's a little bit harder to figure. We don't always know what the end process the end outcome is sure. going to be. Um, is the bench done? Uh, the frames are done and the wood is cut, but it is not assembled. And is it is the hard part stuff. done? Yes, I think it, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, the steel frame is th- these benches are about eight feet long and they're curved. So you know the curve is eight feet, but the bench is shorter because it's curved. But so I had these ten foot pieces of steel, and I had the. <clears throat> Man, my throat. So I Did you use a pipe bender? Yeah, I had a pipe bender okay. that I bought a couple of years ago for a different project that I ended up not being able to do. So I had this thing around and I bought uh, dies. The pipe bender came with um, dies for round tube. Mm-hmm. And so you have to buy sets of other dies. And I actually tried to make a set of dies on the lathe at one point, which was an interesting experience. But I bought a set for one and a half inch square tube. I forgot that I had them. So the other day I found these dies and that's what I was like, oh, wait, I have these. There's no reason I can't make the bench. And so that's what kind of pushed me into doing this. But I'd never used the the pipe bender before. Okay? I, is, this, is this the one that has the hydraulic ram that you hook up to your air? No, this is a manual crank oh, okay. situation. It's like a, roll, a rolling bender. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh so, it's different than what I have. Okay. Harbor, is it the Harbor Freight one? No, it's it's actually Kaka brand. Who? Kaka? Who? Kaka? Kaka. It's a, yes. Kaka. And and there were many many jokes about this thing is a piece uh, sure. of Kaka because yeah. it is yeah. Uh, no, it's K A K A. I don't know. It's one I found online, and it's very it's well built. But I got this thing. It's got a hand crank on it. It's about eighteen inches, twenty inches long, and so you have to have it off the ground to be able to turn the crank. So I put it on a table, and then the table had wheels, and so like we tried that, it's not gonna work. And I ended up, the only thing I had heavy enough and high enough to be able to run this thing was the bumper of my Land Cruiser. I was just so gonna the, say that. Because <laughs> so, I know you're driving, I'm like, should be on the bumper of his truck, maybe? Yep, so I took it out there, clamped it down to the bumper, and was out you know, there running. You know the Land Cruiser's not going anywhere. Right. <laughs> <laughs> It actually wasn't that one. It was oh, okay. uh, it the was the one. one. The other one has a metal bumper, like a squ- kind of a yeah. squarish right. you know, metal bumper. So the green one. So I, I had it out there. But the thing that's weird, the thing that made this difficult, one of the things that made this difficult was I didn't have any experience using this bender. And when you go to YouTube and you search for this bender, there's a 30-second video of some person using it with no audio, no description, they're just doing the obvious thing that you know it would do. So it's not helpful at all. They don't tell you why there's different slots for the dies to be further apart or how much tension you should be putting down for the bend or any of that stuff. So I'm just like winging it like normal. And I put the way this works, <clears throat> if you don't have you haven't seen one of these, there's two dies in the bottom that are rolling kind of wheels. And there's spaces where you can put those further from the center or closer to the center. And then there's one wheel, like a drive wheel on the top that you squeeze down with a kind of spinny clamp thingy. 
and it squeezes the piece of metal. You turn the crank, it pushes it through and adds a little bit of bend between these three points as it goes through. So I start out with these dies as close to the center as possible. Squeeze Hold this thing down. And then you're basically trying to bend. So if you could imagine, you're trying to bend like a piece of 12 inch pipe over a pivot, over a center pivot, right? Yeah. But now that same exact thickness, bring your hands really close together and try and make the same bend with your yeah. hands one inch apart from that pivot. And you'd realize you have no leverage. Right, no leverage and the amount of effort that you're putting through is squeezing the pipe, changing the dimension of the pipe, making it wider, not bending it. So this, I, I figured this out after. So the first time I, first couple times I run this pipe through, those dies are really close together. It's changing the dimension of the pipe, which makes it tighter in the slot that it's in, which makes it harder to turn. So the first time through, man, that's kind of hard to crank through. Second time through, like, goodness, this is okay, this is my workout for the day. Third time through, and it's still not really bending, just a little bit. Third time through, I'm putting my full body weight on the crank, and it's just not moving. And so you, you flex the, the profile of the pipe too yes. wide, and it's getting jammed in the yeah. tunnel of the dies. Yeah. So basically, the first one... It took me realizing halfway through that I had these things too close and I need to put them all the way out. And then I was able to get it through there, but it was still a lot of work because I had changed the profile. So I get one of these done. I'm planning on making two of these benches, which means four curved pieces of metal, 10 feet long. So I get one of these done. And I'm like, this is this is terrible. Like, I don't have the strength to do this. I, I, I might make one. <laughs> I might give up. I don't know. But then I realized what I'd done and what caused the problem. So I knew that the dies had to be all the way far apart. So I put in the second piece of metal and I'm like, well, I'm just gonna crank through it so I can at least make one bench. And I start turning it and I'm cranking it with one arm with no effort at all. And I'm like, oh, look at that, it's all the way through. And then I feed it through again. So the second one, I fed it through three times, got the bend that I needed, the bend that it took six times on the first piece. And so it was really just a matter of me not understanding the physics of what was happening there. And once I understood it, I realized that the tool actually worked super well. It was not a lot of effort. It didn't take very long. But man, I like you always say, I went to school in the first one. Like mm -hmm. I really screwed it up. Mm -hmm. The end result is fine. It's a curved piece of metal. But I did it the hardest way possible. Hmm. But well, when you look at... So the reason I'm telling you all this is to explain the severity of my stupidness and then to say <laughs> in the video I kind of in a passing way mentioned oh I figured out what I did wrong and so now I can fix it on the other ones but like that's seconds of the video that oh. was but your story is interesting me. to me that's what that's the part of the video I want to see I, I don't know how you, to you can go back in and discuss exactly what you just said just go in and with the machine in front of you do an insert yeah, and basically make the video about the process of learning how to bend metal. I learned how to bend metal, and I made a bench. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it could like be that. that maybe I need to do some pickup stuff there to mm -hmm. Put it to together. explain that further. But so that was struggle number one. Uh, then I came up with what I think is a cool little solution for another one of the problems. You'll have to watch the video to see what that is. And then I ran into... Uh, Okay, so I bent these things by hand, which means they don't match the fusion model, which means I can't use the fusion model for the math of figuring out what the segments are for the seat because they're pieces of wood. So I'm assuming the top of the seat looks like an arched, keystoned archway. Yes, yes. And so I wanted to have an, an angle on each one of the keystone pieces so that they didn't have... They had an, an even-ish gap front yep. to back, you know, and didn't have the gap that got wider as it went out. And so I, I couldn't, you know, it wasn't exact to the model. So I was like, well, I'll just lay it on the ground and do some hand math, you know, and like use a string and find the center point and start to figure out. And, and it, I did, and it kind of worked, but it's not exact. And so then I'm, I've got these 25 pieces of cedar cut with four degree angle or two degree angles on them. I've got them all in place and I'm like, they're not right. What do I do now? How do I fudge it to make it look like it's supposed to look and 
it was just like one of those things like this is it's cutting pieces of wood like this should not be hard but i i i don't know if i guess i complicated it and made it more difficult than it should be so then i'm having to spend time solving my own thing that i you know i don't know sometimes i think this is this is me talking about my projects but what if i'm designing something in fusion or if i'm cutting something on a laser or in cnc the um what i see on my screen or the outcome of a d digital tool is is perfect right everything is absolutely perfect and when i make something by hand and i don't see that perfectness it bothers me because it's different than what i see mm. on the screen i don't think it bothers other people who just see a piece of furniture as a piece of furniture made by a human i don't see sure. i don't think they see the imperfections like i do because it looked perfect on my computer screen yeah i would agree with that and i'm and i'm not trying to match the fusion model for the sake of it being perfect it's more of like if I get the math wrong, it's going to compound yeah, yeah. over 25 pieces of wood. Yes, Jimmy. <laughs> I'm raising my hand. <laughs> Could you calculate the curve that you made and then bring it back into Fusion? So instead of letting the model dictate what you did in real life, yeah, now that update you've done in IRL, take the IRL, bring it back into Fusion. Yeah, if, you if, certainly if, could. If you could calculate that curve you just made. Yeah, it's it's... And that's basically what I did, but instead of taking it back into the fusion and redoing it, I just like laid it out on the floor, use tape for straight lines, off. use a string from the point of the center mm. of the circle and 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 it worked eventually. But it was just one of those things that so far the entire project has been like, Oh, well this part right here, like this isn't interesting. It's just like bending metal. Okay, sure. I'll do that and we'll show it and it'll be a quick little thing. And then it just turned into like, whoa, like I had no idea. And then I'm like, yeah, it's just cutting, you know, cutting some pieces of wood with an angle on the side. It's no big deal. And it's just like, whoa, like, wow, this is way more I've been, than I I've thought. been thinking about challenging myself to a similar, similar but different, but very similar in the way that, what is that angle that repeats itself over and over so it's all the same. I want to make a tapered wooden bucket. You know, if I was an old oh, blacksmith uh, yeah. farmer, I'd make them all day long. But what is that making the... Figuring out that very first tapered wooden bucket shape, what is that? What is the complications mm. of that? What is that one piece? And what's the diameter it makes up? And how's it going to hold the bottom? And these are all simple things that have been thought of a billion times in the history of man. But when you personally have that experience, you really do have to go to school on the intimacy of exactly what because it's you have a, a tapered piece of wood top to bottom and then it's tapered yeah. from its back to its front on the yeah. short angle that angle yeah. up top is different than the angle up on the bottom go look up compound taper charts online and your brain will just implode it's oh wow yeah it's, i think i remember you talking about yeah, this because you've it, been through this before because right? i've been through this there is a there's a little jig to help out with those those tapers um it was a kickstarter Man, I forgot the name of the jig and I forgot the name of the guy. But um, uh, we'll we'll put it in the show notes. I'll I'll find it. But it's just this little, a little aluminum jig, and you set the. It helps you set your miter uh, on on your table saw and also your blade angle, and which, yeah, taper compound tapers are confusing. But there are charts online mm. to help you help you get around that too. But when you see those charts, you're like, what the heck is going on? Yeah. I probably should have looked at, well, I did look up a chart for this. Because what I'm basically making is a segmented surface, right? And, like, all you have to know f to do that correctly is, like, a radius of a circle and, you know, just a few other little pieces of information. And so people who do turning have already done this many, many times, and there are charts. I thought that I could manually figure it. And it would be close enough, so I went ahead and cut the pieces, and then I was like, oh, it didn't quite work. Maybe I should look up a chart. But at that point, I had already added angles to pieces, and, you know, it. so I did, of course, make it more difficult on myself when I should have looked up one of the charts like you're talking about for this particular thing. But but I think in general, the, the thing that I'm trying to figure out is what I said earlier, is just how do, you, how do we uh, let people know that that the object of the video is less interesting than the process to get to that object, you know, and, and without being clickbaity and without doing the, 
the oversell on like this was the hardest project in the world. Right. You know, I don't want to do that <laughs> stuff. I just like I just want a title that just says this is interesting because it was hard. Yeah, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean maybe that's the title. Right. I don't know, but the journey so. was worth. The journey was more interesting than the mm. yeah. such and such. But anyway, so that's that's the type of thing that I'm I'm thinking of right now because I think that idea. It's probably there in most of the things that I do, but I've never really identified that that was a, it was a hard thing to communicate, you know? So I'm going to try to figure out how to communicate the that. The love is in the learning. Mm. Trademark that. <laughs> the love is in the learning. So, so at the beginning, David, you started talking about Earning the an learning. Idea. I'll just I'll just wait till Jimmy's done. Yeah, we'll, okay, we can ahead. wait. I'll, I'll just okay. mute it. I'll keep thinking. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you were talking about manufacturing. Oh yeah, yes. Um, I'm not sure if our pre-talk made it into the show or not, but um, Jimmy was talking about manufacturing um, mm -hmm. locally or cheap products coming from like like China, and I thought. Uh, I don't cheap as in inexpensive. It, it, yeah, and at first I was like, I don't know what I have to add to made in the USA versus not made in the USA. Um, but I just recently watched a documentary, and they were talking about like we're so materialistic that we buy all the stuff, but we don't. We're not really materialistic because we don't really have a connection with the stuff. Everything is disposable. And that comes from buying the, the, the cheap stuff at Walmart or, or wherever that comes from overseas with underpaid labor and, and all that. And yeah, so and I think it ties into what we do, because usually the things that we make are pretty darn permanent. Or at least we mm -hmm. that's the plan. Right. Well, I think it's funny. Uh, I got to keep reminding myself because I grew up. I'm a little bit older than you guys, but I grew up. A just, little? <clears throat> I'm just Sorry. I grew up always <laughs> assuming that I just can't have it. I can't afford it. Don't think about it. And so I make do with what I have to a point where I'm like, hey, knucklehead, open your phone, order it from Amazon. And mm. so many times in a week, I remember, oh, the luxury of Amazon, and I'm not. 18 years old with no money anymore. I'm an adult. I have some money. I could afford to buy an extra tool to be dedicated to this one thing instead of constantly, you know, breaking down a setup and putting it back. I'm like, this is such a pain in the butt. Why don't I just buy another bandsaw to just dedicate to that? You're laughing, but I meant to say a bandsaw, a metal cutting bandsaw from my workbench and the tabletop. You like that? I, I so I ended up going out and buying one from Harbor Freight, just like a Harbor Freight tabletop metal cutting band so it's dedicated to that spot it never leaves i don't have to take it on the road whatever so the idea that now things are so easily and dave what you the point you were making was we're so materialistic but yet we're not emotionally attached to anything because everything's so easy to get and that's what you were saying like we're materialistic but at the same time we don't care because we can just dial up and the credit card you know is, is automatically paid and everything so it's almost like it just just shows up Mm -hmm. You know, and, and ha we all buy so many things that when it shows up, you're like, oh my God, what did I, I forgot get? Did that I order I, something? Yeah, what is <laughs> yeah. this? Oh what God. is this oh. truck backing oh. up into my driveway right now? <laughs> uh, oh my, did I order? Did somebody send me something? And it's like, oh, it, like a giant truck shows up and it literally delivers you charging cable for your headset. You're like, oh. <laughs> 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 so disappointing. It's like an eight cent thing in an envelope. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, the reason I was talking about manufacturing is because me and my, my partners, we have a factory now in Arkansas. I talked a little bit about it, and the way we got there is a very long, meandering story, which I'll save everybody the time from. But I now am part of a factory in, in Arkansas that's making, at the moment, it's making Etsy stuff for one of our partners, and we're making Etsy signs and made to order. And so you'll see soon on my website, we're going to start having some made to order on my website as well. So when you order the toolbox that I was selling in Walmart, which no longer is really going to be available there, they're just selling out old inventory. So if you do see it, it's old inventory. But we'll start to offer that toolbox and some other stuff similar to it 
on my website, monogrammed, all made in America. Now, when we, we, we checked it against ver, ver, making it in Europe, the control and the simplicity of having it right there and then, obviously, it's a huge investment of time. The partners paid for everything. But we have machines, CNC machines. We have laser cutting machines and a printing machine. A big fancy printing machine that can print on MDF. Looks like it's made out of plastic. It gives a beautiful UV water resistant coating on it. Hmm. And so we, so we can print on, say, quarter inch MDF and then have it laser cut to the shape. What is that process called? Um, I'm not sure. The printing process? Yeah. It's a big Epson printer. costs like 100 grand. And it lays down a bunch of colors. It lays down like a white plastic and then it prints the colors on top of that. Then it lays down a UV coating. Okay. And it, it's, wow. it's like a hard plastic finish. It's unbelievable how... And it's all, you know, obviously comes from resins or whatever. It's not necessarily like a film. But I, I don't know off the top of my head what that machine is called. But it is a really high-end, you know, the cutting-edge technology. And uh, so we are going to manufacture a lot of stuff in America. And the the simplicity of having it, I, I the workforce is obviously... Your factory is only as good as your workforce, and so you have to train and educate your your people. Get good people that you can trust that problem solve on the spot. Because you know these machines, obviously, we all have many of us have CNC machines, and we have the experience of constantly troubleshooting, constantly trying to choose the right blade, the speed. So you know, getting the right people to do all these things is obviously imperative. But the idea of making things in America and saving the saving the shipping costs. And also the risk of losing things and getting damaged because instead of now going 8,000 miles, something's only going, you know, 400, 200, 300 from where it's getting made to where it's going to live. So there's a lot of conveniences of having things made in America. But it's important to have the workforce. And then I talk about, you guys know Jason Fireball Tools? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He's making something that's very, very, very expensive, very involved. He's making a vice a very big vice, large, heavy-duty vice. And he was up against, he was on our other podcast that I do with uh, Eric and Andrew, and he laid it out. He said he checked the pricing in America versus Taiwan. He's having it made in Taiwan, but he's also having it made in America. So he said he's going to let the consumer dictate. So he's offering both vices, the one from... Taiwan, now these prices are vague, I'm not exactly sure, is $2,000. The one made in America is $4,000. Interesting. But for wow. all the people saying, made in America, made in America, it's got to be made in America. He's like, okay, I made the vice in America. It's right there. You could buy that one for $4,000. Uh -huh. Or you could buy one of the exact same quality. The only difference is it doesn't say made in America on it. It says made in Taiwan. That one's $2,000. Huh. Now, you know, your true blue, red, white, and blue American, made in America only, buy the American one. That's the one you want. And then you're really put to the test. you got to sit there and go, oh, That's an expensive I social experiment right there. My goodness. I love yeah. America. I love America. Yeah. Yeah, I wonder how much investment he had to put in, in both of, of those situations of, to get. Hundreds of thousands yeah. of dollars. Wow. He described on the podcast, now, when you get the casting of the the, the the uh, stationary part of the vice, the one that's connected to the table, the dynamic jaw slides through a big square inside of it, right? That square tunnel. That square tunnel has to be broached. And a broaching tool, for people that don't know, is, is like a long, it's like a wand. It's like a long stick that is progressively the shape at one end. And at the beginning, it's like the rough version of that shape. So it's like a tiny, it's like a hole like that, for instance. And I'm holding my hands up, say, like three inch square. And at the back, it's like a four by four inch square. And out of the casting, the tunnel comes, but it's not cleanly machined. That tunnel is three by three. So the beginning of that long rod will fit into that rough casted tunnel. But when you push through it with thousands of pounds of hydraulic force and tons of oil, that thing has all these sharp teeth on it progressively until it gets to the end of that long shaft that is now the right shape. So progressively as you push through it, all those teeth are just cutting the walls of the tunnel deeper and deeper and deeper as it gets to the widest tapered, most tapered part. That's called a brooch. That's how they, they make like uh, splined interior centers of gears and so on. Square holes into steel, precision square holes, you get a square brooch. I think, and again, I'm not 100% sure on the numbers. He said just that brooch 
was $40,000. Just to make that tool that cuts that hole. Now, this is all public. I didn't, I'm not telling any secrets. He told it on the podcast. So you could imagine, I think, and that was the American version. It cost him $40,000 to tool it in America. The guys in Taiwan were like, oh, you want a four-inch, you want a four-inch brooch hole? We got that. I think basically what he's saying is like they're so well equipped over there to, to, to handle and do anything. Hmm. And you know, so he didn't have to, he, he obviously had a huge investment in both sides. But in general, the idea of when you have a lot of people barking made in America, made in America, made in America, now they're put to the test. When it comes to heavy steel, stuff like that, those type of things are more difficult to make in America because we're not used to making that stuff here anymore. But with the, with, with, with the expansion of CNC's and lasers, each one of us are our own manufacturers. The, the toolbox that I made before we ended up selling it to Walmart two years ago, I was making them here in the shop. Me and Aaron and, and Mike the fireman, we were all making them here. We were I making- think scalability, that's easy to say because mm-hmm. you've done it, right? Yeah. So I'm not discounting that. But the scalability there It definitely is, was is, not fun. <laughs> yeah. That seems like that would have... Like you would hit the scalability limit to profit really quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it something like that? Like take the toolbox, for instance. Yeah, it, it was is tough. that something that you could theoretically have continued to do on your own no. and made a profit from it? Or no. would it have like washed out? It would have washed out. And that's why when I look at things and my brother has a product that he's developed that's a CNC product that he wants to make in America. Uh, he found a factory in Pennsylvania that'll make it for him. But when he's looking at me, he's like, hey, do you want, like, well, let me, why don't we just buy three machines and we'll do it here? I'm like, I, I don't want to be a factory manager. I don't want to be all about your product or my, even my product. I want to basically be the idea guy. And then now I have the convenience of sending it over to the Arkansas factory if it is something that's going to end up on my website. Versus in the beginning when it was like fun that I could make now I'm talking about CNC. CNC takes a long time. These things take, when you cut something, it takes a long time. People are like, oh, you just pop it in the machine. Now, I, I could also talk about another example that I'm working on right now. I'm making the badges for the, for the pool table company that I'm working with. They want me to make these vintage looking with modern, with modern graphics, like the new brand uh, on them so they sent me lots of examples so i cnc'd one it takes two hours i cnc'd another one got it down to like an hour and a half but it still has the tool marks in it and they're like well can we can we get three cnc machines to make you know three every three hours i'm like yeah, but the, there's lots of things so we did more research and we found that the old ones were co- what you call coined you take all the time and energy to make the cnc dies harden them and then stick a piece of sheet metal in it and under a hydraulic press in seconds, it pops out the tool. So in that three hours, so you take several hours to make the dies, and then in that same three-hour window where I'd see and see one of these, I could literally just put in and pull out the, probably 500 of them in three hours. So the idea of CNC takes a long time. So to go back to the idea of me running a CNC machine in my shop, and or a laser cutter, it just takes so long. But at this factory, we have multiple machines, high-end, multi-cam machines. It's a brand that runs fast and strong. Whereas I'm making the ice picks, it's a different type of process. It's not necessary. And then, and then I was hand stamping them, so I went and I bought a die stamper so I could stamp 2,000 ice picks with my logo in a matter of an hour, just as fast as you could stick it in and out. Before I was hand stamping it, holding the hammer and boom, and then up oh, didn't look good. Let me do that again. So the idea of scaling certain things up in in my little shop is easier than other things. So when Bob, you guys were seeing seeing the you guys were seeing seeing the push sticks yourselves, right? Mm-hmm. And doing all that. Are you still making that, or you just did that batch and that's that? We did that batch, and I'd like to do another batch later this year, but mm-hmm. we're not continually doing them. Right. We're just going to do them in batches. Because mm-hmm. it is a process of CNC and laser, and some of the pieces actually have to be done on both. Like you have some engraving on one side and some, you know, hole cutting and uh, beveling and stuff, like V-carving on the other side. So it's, it is a process. Uh, we also, Josh came up with really great processes for all of it, came up with really nice packaging, but the packaging ended up taking a long time and it's nice. Like it's good packaging. It's not just throwing it in a box and, um, you know, 
let the person just like deal with the fact that a bunch of pieces are in a box. It's nice, but I think it's one of those things where we haven't done it enough to figure out the cost benefit of packaging and cutting corners and so on. Yeah, like where where money. we can trim back. Yeah, so and combine. I think processes. that's in our second batch. We'll we'll kind of redo some yeah. of those processes. There's no there's no doubt. Like when I think about the first ice picks that I made versus what I do now, how me and Rob, I went in one day and and we used to we heat up the the area with two torches top and bottom and rob made a jig so the bottom torch is held in its own thing so he just turns it on and so he has a free hand to do something faster so there's like tons of little things that just keep and then you know when the whole window of time when aaron was making the ice picks he he revolutionized a lot of the processes and it's just because when you have a different mind on these things you know you're kind of set in a way like okay that works i'm going to be stuck here for a minute then when somebody else looks and goes, well, why don't you just do that over there? And you go, well, that's because I haven't thought of it yet. It's a good idea. So let's do it that way for a minute. And now, you know, Rob is the third or fourth person to be doing these. And he's also now thinking of ways of shortening the, the process. So I guess, you know, if we're going to do manufacturing in our own world, it, it all depends. But like I said, for instance, CNC stuff. I mean, some guys are manufacturing signs. And they're, every one of them is one full-on, complete custom sign that might be you know, like a big sign. Like you know, like if you guys know Veteran Woodco, he makes these beautiful signs and you know, kind of catered towards the military police world. Incredible signs. And you know, each one's got to be a couple thousand dollars the way he makes them. They're so beautiful. He's manufacturing in America. He's manufacturing signs in America. But when it comes to more... Uh, a larger volume when someone goes to the Etsy page and picks this background with this font with this color and that setting you know, those type of things are really more of like a bigger scale factory situation mm. outside of a personal shop and that's and that's basically what we've created yeah I mean that's an interesting distinction that you know when you t- when I think of manufacturing I think of high volume uh, really consistent repeatability we're just making the exact same thing as many times as possible to sell to as many people as possible. The other side of that, which, you know, for things like forks and markers and cups and stuff, that, yeah, highly that's how it works items. at scale, right? Yeah. But then when you think about a custom sign or not even a custom sign, but a, a, a kind of top-tier quality item, think about, like, Tony's hand planes, so Tony from Hillview, wood metal, Hillview, yeah, right? Hillview yeah. wood metal. Wood metal. Um, he makes these absolutely beautiful tools, but he makes them by hand, and so he doesn't make a lot of them. But they also cost what they should cost because they are made by hand by somebody who absolutely knows what they're doing. Um, and so you know the difference there is he's he's still manufacturing those things, mm-hmm. but he's able to charge what they're actually worth because he well. It's only worthwhile if he charges that much. Right. But they're in limited quantities. He's not trying to, you know, just shotgun the world with as many hand planes as possible at the cheapest possible rate. And so it's Mm -hmm. a totally different way of looking at it. You have fewer clients, fewer consumers, but each one of those consumers is paying more Mm -hmm. per the item because it's they're paying what it's, it's valued at, what it should be. So those are two really different approaches to manufacturing your own stuff. And... You know, I I guess you have to have the product and the quality to be able to take it in that particular direction. Like, not everybody can do that because not everybody has the machining and the attention to detail and, the, you know, all that stuff. But they're two different, really different approaches for manufacturing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, like I said, a lot of people want Made in America, Made in America. And then when confronted with the actual costs of Made in America, then they go, oh, this is expensive. But that's just the way it is because there's not that many people want to do that job. And But what is interesting is, though, in America now, there's been the resurgence of Made in America, obviously. When we were selling our toolboxes to Walmart in the beginning, they were asking us, do your best to have a Made in America. But we could not find a factory that really wanted the product. This is the other problem with American manufacturing. You find a factory that can certainly make the product, then you go, okay, what, how can you help us with packaging? They go, I don't know, that's not our thing. We don't know anything about that. Like when you want to make a complete product that sells into a Walmart or a Kmart or a Target, you have to be the factory that makes it, orders the wood, orders the material, manufactures the toolbox in my case, and also 
gathers the printing. You might not make the printing, but you know where to get it, and you bring it to your factory and your facility. comes off the end of the CNC machine, gets through somebody's hands, they sand it a little bit, put it in a wooden, uh, put it in a, a cardboard box or sleeve, put it in plastic and send it through the heat machine, and at the other end, somebody takes it, puts it on a pallet, then counts them, and then says, okay, this pallet has X amount, just like all the other pallets, and this is all the this model number, and this is all the that model number. That part of the manufacturing in America is also extremely difficult. Even though the product's already done, they just want to be like, okay, there's a giant pile of all the parts we made for you. We don't want to deal with it after that. And then that factory is out of the running because we can't use that factory. So when you think about made in America, you have to injection mold the part, figure out what kind of master carton it's going to go in. Is it going to be injection molded and then go through the assembly line and become part of a bigger thing? You know, these are all the things that... that uh, China and overseas and other places around the world, they have the fully integrated manufacturing where they say, you know, you could literally bring them somebody else's product and say, I want it to look just like this when it's done. And they go, no problem. Hmm. This is all kind and of the first sample is the first sample is the test shots and the packaging and everything versus in America. It's like, can you make this for me? I can make this part for you. Yeah, no problem. This I have no idea how to do. Case in point, I was manufacturing these parts for my brother. I don't want to say what it is just yet until he's ready to announce it. My brother's making this whole system. It's a pet system, right? For animals. And we came up with the branding, and I CNC'd the branding into it. So every sample we have has the branding name and all the parts. Are, and we, he found a factory that could totally make it. And they have complete capability. They had no idea how to put the logo on it. They're like, we don't know what kind of font that is. We don't know, we don't know what kind of tool cut that font. So it's a 60-degree V-bit. Joey calls me, he's like, they had to get like a custom-made, I'm like, all they need to do is go to Amazon and buy a 60-degree V-bit. He goes, they don't understand how it works. And then they still got it wrong, because they don't cut it with V-carve, they cut it with some other punch card machine, I don't know, doesn't have V-carve. So they got a 60-degree V-bit, but they just literally used it like a clearing bit. So the corners of all the letters aren't sharp. I was like, do you realize the letters aren't... They go, look at the logo that I made and look at the logo that they made. And he's like, oh, wow, I didn't even notice the difference. I was like, they, they don't understand V-Carve. But this is a factory that's been manufacturing things with a CNC machine for years. So this is like, this is the, the tough part about Made in America. Hmm. I didn't realize, I've never really given this any thought. I just assumed the, the the cost of not made in America was labor, but there's a whole. We're just we just don't have the places that are equipped to do all the stuff in one building. Equipped is one thing, but also the interest level to like this is again I I'm harping on this because it got me annoyed. My brother's like, oh, they had a custom made V bit made. I'm like, okay, what was custom about it? Oh, they had a V-bit with a flat bottom. I'm like, so they made a 60-degree V-bit with an eighth-inch flat bottom. They had that made. It cost them like $300. That's a useless bit. Because he's like, well, they didn't know how to clear the letter out. I'm like, they don't have to clear the letter out if they run a V-bit, V-carve. He goes, they don't know what V-carve is. They don't understand what Vectrix is. They don't use that software. They never even heard of it. And so they got this custom-made bit that just clears the letters so it has a nice clean flat bottom letter doesn't have like the the step because the step over was too shallow with a v-bit so by flattening the tip so these are all the problems they solved in the wrong direction if you ask me my opinion it's like make the logo mm. smaller so the v-bit just has to v-carve the brand it doesn't have to clear the bottom of the letter because if you make it bigger then you're only going so deep you're using the tip it's like a two point double o two step over for the tip of the v-bit just to clear it up anyway, for the non-cnc people a v-carve not the name of the program but the actual technique of v-carving is it uses like a 60 degree bit or any degree bit and then when it gets to the end of the letter it pulls out instead of just doing a, a flat carve of the letter it pulls out and it gives you these nice crisp edges and that's how you get yeah fine points it's a it's a technique yeah it looks like roman carving yeah for instance like mm. the like 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 what you'd see on a beautiful old Roman carved sign, like the way that letters all V V carved. So that's that's a big problem in made in America. But when you cater to a specific client, like what we're going to be doing, we're going to bring it back to myself because my arms reach in the back of my back, pat myself on the back. Now, our <laughs> factory, we're going to be able to do all those things because these are all the things we've dealt with doing the trying to get the Walmart stuff made years ago, a few years ago. 
and that's that's where we're at. We're seeing we're trying to take a big swing. We're already the factory's already making stuff for for two avocados on Etsy, which is our partner there, and that's what we're doing. And then uh, we're going to cater to do stuff like again for my website, so you can go on and buy custom gifts for friends and family and kids that might know or be interested in the Duresta branded stuff, and and whoever else wants to come along. So, right on. Excited to see how that how that goes. Yeah. Yep, cool. Yep, yep. Well, uh, I'm going to thank our Patreon supporters. And actually, before I do that, I haven't told you guys this, but I'm going to be out of town next week, so we're not going to have a show next week. Oh. I mean, you guys can have a show next week if you want. I ain't doing this without oh. you. All right, oh. cool. Well, I'm not going to be here. So. Who's going to introduce us? If <laughs> Me and Dave are just going to look at each other and wait for someone to talk. <laughs> I'll talk in a high-pitched voice, and you talk in a baby voice, and the whole podcast will be an hour and a half of that. <laughs> So anybody that wants to skip next week, feel free, because that sounds terrible. Um, but big thanks to every, everybody at Patreon that makes the show possible, that supports us over there. We are very grateful. Um, Patreon. <laughs> usual suspects, we wanted to thank, uh, call them out and say thank you to Corey Ward, Albers Woodworks, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancat. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Chad from Mancrafting, Chad's Custom Creations, Rich at Loan Design, Odin Leather Goods, Sean Beckner, did not forget Sean this week, mm. Scott Orham, the new Janky Workshop, Stu, sorry, the new Janky Workshop, mm. Stu Morrison, Warren Works, Michael Menegin, The Web Ranch Woodworks, Crabtree Creative, and I want to look through our other patrons, Laser Shark, pretty sure that's not their first and last name, but I could be wrong. A big thanks to Laser Shark. Uh, I think Freaking Rudy lasers. is the actual name. Yeah. Thanks for the support. Appreciate it. And if you want to get the after show, you want to join that crew and help us out, you can go to patreon.com slash making it. Any level gets you the after show. Dollar an episode or whatever helps us out, and you get more of us talking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what we're going to talk about today in the after show, but I'm <laughs> sure we'll... I told a funny story about my roommate last, a roommate that I had. <laughs> oh yeah, I about that, that smelly feet. Yeah. When uh, when when Kelly got home from work last Wednesday, I'm like, you can't, you got, I can't wait to tell you Jimmy Dress's story, and <laughs> told her the whole thing, gave out all the names, the names that we couldn't say on the podcast. I got people messaging me on my Discord, like, is it so and so? I'm like, nope. So it's not it's nobody that famous. But some people know her. Yeah. Oh, well, boy. you guys got anything to recommend this week? Oh boy, I forgot about this part. Yep. Every week. Every week for eight years. My goodness. So I started watching a documentary that I found on YouTube yesterday called How Graffiti is Changing the Face of Art. It is uh it's a documentary so it's an hour and 23 minutes long on this channel called documentary central and um graffiti is a polarizing topic because it is uh, some people consider it art some people don't some in and, and and uh i i get the negative side but uh, it talks about graffiti artists and uh gallery work and murals and coming from the streets into into legitimate legal art and I found it very very interesting I haven't even finished it yet I'm about halfway through but that's what I'll be doing this evening is watching the second half of this so how graffiti is changing the face cool. of art I love graffiti it's great. Yeah. I mean I don't like the vandalism yes. part of it yes. but the art yeah. style and the, the expression of it I really like what you got, Jimmy? I'm looking at my history, and I watched a couple of Salvador Ganocci. Do you guys know who Salvador Ganocci is? I might have talked about him before. Yeah, you've talked about him before. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking. I watched <laughs> some Salvador Ganocci videos, and then my buddy sent me this guy. Who, it's he, he's on Netflix as a joke. It's on he's on Netflix, and they, they what's crazy is I'm looking at the. It's all from a year ago. And I'm looking, and it, it just shows this clip of this guy, but it doesn't say what the show is. It's this this guy that keeps popping up. He's a comedian. Hold on. Maybe you guys know who this is. Let me put a picture of him up. 
<laughs> I'm sorry. This is the worst recommendation Riveting ever. podcasting. Let me put a picture up. No, but you guys might look at this guy and go, oh, yeah. Do you know this comedian? He keeps popping up everywhere. He, uh, that's, do you know this guy? Um, that, he's from um, I Think You Should Leave. Is that what yeah, it's the called? The show's called I Think You Should Leave. And it's like a sketch comedy yeah, show? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Like, in, a, in an awesome way. Like, some, I've yeah. got my friend Clay. He is, is, like, the biggest fan of the show. Like, just, like, yeah, people go nuts about this the guy. show. Yeah. It is so funny. My buddy sent me two clips last night. Oh, yeah. He goes, this guy has got me riveted. Yeah. And he sent me two clips from the show. But the show doesn't say, I'm, at, I'm on Netflix. It's a Netflix trail. And it does not say what the name of the show is. It just calls Brian's Hat Full yeah. Sketch. Oh, I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. There, there it is. Go. I didn't read that part. <laughs> <laughs> That's the name of the show. I, I thought that was part of the description. I didn't realize that was the name of the show. I think you should leave with Tim Robinson. Go watch I, it. It's I, hilarious. I think it's, I think it's a good show for you. Because it's uh, short little bites. You don't like each episode. Like yeah. you can, you can just get it. Because I, I know you don't sit down on the couch and and watch a TV program. So this right. is great for you. Right. Yeah. Well, what's great is that this guy keeps popping up in memes everywhere. He's got this crazy funny face, and he's never serious about anything. And uh, like the the meme of him going, "You sure about that?" <laughs> Are you sure about that? Yeah. Like, that keeps popping up over everybody's clips. Yeah, uh, Donut so Media that used hilarious. that in your video yesterday. <laughs> yeah, it's showing up everywhere. It's like, you sure about that? So, that guy, whatever his name is. Tim Robinson. Tim Robinson, probably. Tim Rob oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is in the name of the show. <laughs> Short-term memory. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so, mine is, I, I haven't really watched anything new recently but i stumbled back across uh you all know i'm a fan of radiohead and i stumbled back across a couple of things that they did years ago where there's this kind of series called in the basement and it's the studio i can't remember which studio it is actually but they have bands come in and play in the basement studio and they just do a live studio performance but it's fully you know engineered like a record and they did two different albums. Radiohead did two different albums in this setting, and they have video of the performances, and it's all on YouTube. It's free, and they're just so good. It's amazing to watch people that you really respect play music. You know, not not in like a big stage concert setting, but to actually watch them play and watch them emote and like turn knobs and you know all the stuff is really really cool for me. So I rewatched uh, the In Rainbows performance. They also have King of Limbs, which is another one of their albums that I really like. So if you like them or you like that type of thing, there's a bunch of different bands that have played in the basement. So you can go see if your band, favorite band is there. But It took me about 10 years to really series. appreciate and enjoy In Rainbows. I, I did not yeah. like it at first. Yeah. I, I, that's the way with a lot of their yeah. albums. Like when they first come out, I'm like, oh, yeah, I mean, eh, okay. But then after a while listening to it, you're like, whoa. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, that's all I got. You guys got anything else? Hmm. Silence says hmm. no. All right. Hmm. I'm, oh, reading well, about the, I'm reading about the Titanic rescue. They still haven't filmed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, that's a bummer. Um, again, no show next week, but we'll be back after that. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll Thank see you. Thank you. Boop, blah, boop.